This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov slash MCTV. Well, hello, and how are you doing this fine day? I'm Victor Yurkovsky. I'm a state police motor carrier officer at the Tri-City Post. And the nice folks here at MCTV asked me to come in and talk to you about human trafficking. Now, I talk to a lot of groups, a lot of individuals, and frequently when I'm doing a presentation, people have a question as to who is this person talking and why are they standing between me and lunch? So, I'll give you a little bit on my background. 1977, I graduated from Kirtland Community College with an associate's. 1979, I graduated from Ferris with my bachelor's. And four days later, put on, I was given my first full-time badge. And if you're doing the math, yes, that was 42 years ago. It has been a while. Now, I worked in a few agencies, a few different positions. In 1986, the state police said, uh, how would you like to shave your head, go through hell for 16 weeks, and go wherever we tell you? And of course, my answer was, I'm game, when do we start? And like most, somewhere along the line on those very hard days, I was asking myself, what was I thinking? In my almost 35 years with the Michigan State Police, I've been a motor carrier officer. For those of you that are not familiar with it, a motor carrier officer is a specialist in commercial vehicles. Now, it could be anything from the equipment requirements, licensing, registration. You could be looking at uh, driver requirements, size, weight enforcement, safe loading, hazardous materials transportation. We kind of take the specialty and run as much as we can with it. Um, in addition to being a patrol officer doing those duties, I've also done a few other things. We frequently hold multiple jobs. I've been a recruiter, applicant background investigator, field training officer, I'm a firearms instructor, I've done a number of things as well. In 19, or correction, 2001, I got the bright idea, I went back to school, took a master's in counseling from Central Michigan University and started working as a mental health therapist part-time. Oh, about 2014, my division, the Commercial Vehicle Enforcement Division, found out about the Truckers Against Trafficking Initiative. It's a program that involves getting the transportation and related industries like uh, truck stops involved in the fight against human trafficking. Well, uh, about shortly after the decision was made to go along with it, my captain had looked at it, said this is a wonderful program, we need to be on board, I received an email. Thank you for volunteering to be a district coordinator. You're scheduled to go to a conference. I promptly sent that to my uh, sergeant with a note saying, news to me, did you forget to tell me something? But as a uh, coordinate, district coordinator for Truckers Against Trafficking, I started going to a lot of trainings on human trafficking, a lot of conferences, had the opportunity to meet some good people. Uh, that was how I got involved with the uh, Mid-Michigan Human Trafficking Task Force. And then through that as well with the Midland County Human Trafficking Task Force. Eventually, they started asking me to teach the Human Trafficking 101 at the annual conferences. And that was how we get here, Human Trafficking 101. Now, this is the therapist in me. I've told you about me. I don't know about you. I don't know what's gone on in your life. I don't know if there are any traumas or any situations 
that could cause re-traumatization as we go along with this. If you need to walk away from it, I have no problem with that. I understand. And I hope that you are getting professional help to deal with that. But if you can follow me with me through this journey, I would appreciate it. So, let's get started. The goals here are going to be very simple, and we can think of it as AIR, air. The first one is going to be awareness, then indicators, and response. Awareness. Okay, what's human trafficking? What are the two types? Is it in my area? Indicators. What are the signs for labor trafficking, for sex trafficking? What are things that should kind of raise the hackles and raise the hair on the back of your neck and make you start questioning? As for response, what can you expect from a victim? What should your response be? And what's really important is we need to look at what is a victim-focused response. The elephant in the room. When my daughter was little, she called it the effluent. She couldn't quite handle elephant. An elephant in the room is something that is so big, so huge, so large, that you can't ignore it. And some people will try to ignore it, and they tend to expend a lot of energy. They squeeze around one side, or they're trying to work around, and if you just leave it alone, it only gets bigger. And that elephant will eventually be way too big for the room. So it's important to deal with it soon. We've got two different types of human trafficking. There's sex trafficking, and there's labor trafficking. What's the definition of a human trafficking? Well, for sex trafficking, commercial sex induced by fraud, force, or coercion. Or, in which the person performing the act is a minor. And for the purpose of this law, anybody under the age of 18 is a minor. Now, remember that force, fraud, or coercion, because those are the important elements. You don't have to do all three, but you need at least one or the age. Labor trafficking. Well, we see that again. Force, fraud, or coercion. To recruit, harbor, transport, obtain, employ a person for labor, or services in domestic servitude, farm worker, factory workers. It's labor that's you're using force, fraud, or coercion. A lot of times people are starting, will ask questions like, well, what are the statistics? How much of this is happening? Well, isn't this something that just happens someplace else? like, you know, Detroit, Flint, uh, Kalamazoo, maybe the larger cities, Grand Rapids. It's not around here. If you have either of these in your area, you're going to be touched by human trafficking. Do you have a road? Crime and human trafficking is a mobile enterprise. It doesn't stay on one street corner. It travels. It moves. And as we'll see later on, yes, it's a very common thing. Computers. Do you have internet access? If you do, you'll be touched. In some instances, people are using it to obtain some people are also using it to recruit. 
often it's being used uh, when dealing with minors. Okay. There have been recent instances that would really just, the minute I saw it, I was saying, uh-oh, here's a problem. You have a runaway. Met somebody on the computer. In some instances, they try to uh, erase the information off the computer before they leave. Luckily, we've got good computer crimes units that can get in there and a lot of times reconstruct and get the information out. So when you look at human trafficking, what are some of the elements? Well, you have a process. You start off by recruiting, harboring, moving, obtaining. Somehow or another, you're getting this individual. You're going to have force, fraud, coercion, or age. And then for involuntary servitude, debt bondage, slavery, commercial sex acts. These are things that just go through the process. A lot of times there's a misunderstanding between smuggling and trafficking. Okay. Smuggling might be getting them and moving them across borders. Trafficking is the actual use of that individual. Okay. You don't have to have the travel to have trafficking. As I said before, it's a mobile enterprise. The trafficking might take place across different locations, but you don't have to have uh, the smuggling to have trafficking. Let's take a look at a few instances. Okay? There was a young lady who, at a uh, conference, presented her story. It starts in Africa. She's a young teen, probably like around 14 years old. A friend of the family, wonderful friend, comes over and says to her parents, you know, I can take your daughter to the United States. She'll have all these great opportunities. She will go to school. She will have all sorts of things ha open up for her. After all, in the United States, the streets are paved with gold. How many times do you hear that being said? The family looked at it and said, you know, there's not much we can offer our daughter. Our friend is going to offer you know, this great chance. They agreed. The friend promptly took her to the neighboring country, changed her name, got a passport under the assumed name, and told her, from here on out, you will refer to me as your aunt. Brought her to the United States. She was uh, living in a house with a number of other girls in uh, New Jersey. It was the aunt, aunt's husband, and aunt's son. And every day, these girls would walk down the street to a hair salon and do African braids all day long, six days a week. That's what they did. And Auntie was collecting all the money. This went on for years. The girl had been told by the aunt, if anybody asks you how old you are, you tell them you're 19. She followed her directions. How old are you? 19. Of course came the day that a longtime customer came in and said, how old are you? 19. You were 19 three years ago. As I said, this was going on for years, okay? But somewhere along the line, they wound up on the radar. And one night, door got kicked in, 
federal officers came in. They arrested Auntie, her husband, son. I forget the amount. It was an outrageous amount of cash that they had collected, you know, that was in the house that they uh, got a hold of. You know, it's pretty obvious I know nothing about fashion, but they tell me that it's nothing for a woman to drop $200 to get a set of African braids. So think about that with several girls over the course of years and the money that was being collected. Was there a happy ending? Well, the young lady who was presenting this, she had been given one of the special visas for a victim of human trafficking. And she was able to stay in the country. She was going to college at that time. This was a number of years ago, so I suspect that she has probably since graduated. And I'd be curious to know how she's doing, but things were working out well for her. Now, let's come a little closer to home. Within this area, this district of uh, state police district of the state, a number of years back, foreign nationals were being brought in on the promise, once again, of going to school, getting an education, learning the language. They were brought here, dumped into a one-bedroom apartment, and every night they were loaded up into vans and taken to stores to clean the floors. And this went on for a time. The one finally started questioning what was going on, why you know, weren't they going to school, what about all the promises? Well, he complained too much. He got quite a beating. Now it's fascinating because he walked out, started wandering around, he saw a state police post, walked in. There was a problem because there was a language barrier. These uh, folks were coming from a country that, <laughs> let's put it this way, the language is not that popular. We have access to professional translation services, but there was only two people in the country attached to that language service that spoke that language. And they were able to eventually find out what had happened. In this case, you know, it was pretty much it was turned over to the federal government because that was before Michigan had even passed their first human trafficking law. Was it trafficking? Was there fraud? Absolutely. The promises to get them here. Was there force? <laughs> Somebody being clobbered? Coercion? In some instances, they're being told, uh, first off, you don't want to go to the police. Where they come from, the police might be as bad as the traffickers. So it was really, really surprising that he would come to, the, to a state police post and ask for help. How about, these two are two instances of labor trafficking. What about sex trafficking? There was a couple of young girls, and take into account that if you've watched the movie Taken, although that is a type of human trafficking, that is not the norm, okay? In many instances, there are other reasons. They might have been, might be somebody who's young and they believe that they're going to something wonderful or something better. Somebody has said all the right things and they're going in there. They're getting drawn into that life. In this particular instance, a couple of young girls, uh, early teens, they were met somebody, they went to a house, they were immediately separated. Each was told the same thing. You do what we tell you, or your friend is going to pay the price for it. Now in this instance, there was the age, but there was also the coercion. They were trafficked for a time. They were uh, being moved around different places. Let's face it, if you don't know where you are, 
how do you leave and get help? Plus, the two of them need to be, stay together, otherwise their belief was anything, if one leaves, the other one's going to be uh, paying a heavy price for it. It's fascinating because what led to them coming, being brought out, they were being sex trafficked all over the place. They were in a truck stop. A truck driver, as he was pulling out, got on the phone to 911. They have no idea who that truck driver was. They still have the audio recording of his call, saying that there's a couple of girls in here, they look awfully young, somebody needs to check it out. And that's what eventually led to them being brought out. But again, no idea who it was. So who's at risk? What are the traits of vulnerability? Well, it could be from div diverse ethnic, socioeconomic backgrounds. It doesn't just happen in the poor neighborhoods. It doesn't just happen in immigrant worlds. It's everywhere. Kids who maybe would seem to be coming from the ideal family, somebody gets in their head, gives them the right information, says the things they want to hear, draws them in. Varied levels of education, documented, undocumented, runaway youth. There's a, a tactical instructor who often says, if you look like food, you will be eaten. Runaways, it's like they have this giant neon sign over their head saying, all you can eat buffet, come and get it. Youths in the foster care system, previous sexual abuse, a number of uh, victims who have made their way out, they're the survivors now, have talked about prior to this having been sexually abused before being drawn into a world of uh, uh, commercial sex. Runaways, yeah, as I said, they are really open for exploitation. Where do you go? What do you do? You're a runaway and somebody tells you just the wonderful things and takes you in. So. And the thing is, remember what I said about the uh, uh, computers? A lot of times they're not standing on street corners. They're being brought in through uh, computers. People who have, gone through, have been caught gone through the buyers that go through John schools. Some of them have described it as being like ordering a pizza. Go online, look what I want, look for what I want, and it gets delivered. Teenagers, <laughs> if for anybody who has raised teenagers, which is why you have hair this color, for anybody who ha is raising a teenager right now, <laughs> good luck. Anybody who has ever been a teenager, we know that teenagers do not think as we do. It's difficult to try to put human uh, logic, or I should say adult logic, into what a teenager does. How many times when you were a teenager somebody asked you, why did you do that? I don't know. Seemed like a good idea. Why did you ride your bicycle at top speed off the end of a dock and go tail over tea kettle? I saw the Evil Knievel movie. Teenagers, a lot of times, can be easily manipulated. They go off with somebody totally unexpected. Think about 
if you were a teenage girl, about 14, 15 years old, and you're sitting in your group, and one of them says, well, I'm dating somebody who's 50 years old. Probably the reaction would have been, ooh. But that's what's happening. And it isn't just simply if they're coming from dysfunctional homes. They could be coming from very loving and caring homes. There was uh, a mother who told her story at a conference. Her 13-year-old daughter, one morning, they woke up, looked. Her bed is empty. It hasn't been slept in. Fresh snow, one set of footprints leading away from the window had met somebody online. Guy was in his 40s. Ran off with him. Luckily, she thought that she had erased everything off of her computer. They were able to reconstruct it. They were able to recover her before anything happened. But the guy had told her, well, I'm going to have to teach you to be my backup for uh, robberies at liquor stores. And if you're not going to do that, then I'll have to take you to Vegas and put you out on the street because I need money. Now, the other problem was trying to bring her back into the family. And when I talk to therapists, I tell them, you're probably going to have to treat the whole family. You can't just treat the one kid. Okay? The whole family needs to address this because it's going to have a, a quite an impact. Everybody's going to be looking at each other, maybe pointing fingers, questioning who did what. And maybe nobody did anything. Okay. In some instances, the kids are coming out of dysfunctional homes where maybe a parent or a relative is putting them into the uh, world of sex trafficking. There are many different instances. There's no one cookie-cutter option. Okay. Many times people are looking for what are the statistics, what are the numbers. You might have a study. You might have information from one area or maybe one small group. But to be able to adapt that to the whole problem it's very difficult. Okay. You might have a limited clientele. Well, what's the average age of somebody being drawn into human trafficking? Well, if you're only asking teenagers that have been brought out, the age is going to be young. Can adults be drawn into it as well? Yes. In some instances, it might be uh, drug addiction. Okay. The drug addiction, it can be kind of a chicken and egg situation. What started this? Was the drug addiction used, put onto this victim so that it could be used as a control? You do your... Uh, uh, quota, and you'll get your stuff. And if you don't, you're going to be awfully miserable until you do meet quota. Or was this self-medication to deal with the trauma uh, and the uh, situation that they're in? Okay, But either way, drug use, drug addiction can be a very strong uh, situation for coercion and control. So let's run through a few of these. Here are some examples. And think ahead of time. Is this trafficking or isn't it? Kelsey found an interesting opportunity to work at a summer camp. She's expected to work 70 to 80 hours a week for less than minimum wage after room and board. 
She's only allowed to contact her friends and family on an emergency basis or late at night on a weekend. Is this trafficking? No. We don't have the elements of force, fraud, or coercion there. And I'll say this, that if not being able to use the phone all the time is uh, human trafficking, then the state police re uh, recruit school is human trafficking. We were only allowed to use the phone at certain times in the evening, and I go back to the days of the pain phone on the wall. And every, when the uh, authorization was given, okay, you can use the phone, people were lined up with change and calling cards. Even now today with uh, cell phones, you're not allowed to use them until a certain time and then when the time is allowed to use the phone, you sign in, you go into a room, you make your call, end the call, sign out, the next person goes in. So, you know, pay, it's less than minimum wage after room and board. You're not constantly on the phone. No, that's not trafficking. A musical artist travels throughout the country on a bus looking to recruit young individuals to engage in their merchandise sales. This has happened around here. Is that trafficking? No. In and of itself, that's not trafficking. Where's the force, fraud, or coercion? Maggie is a junior in high school. Okay, let's stop right there. Unless Maggie is somebody who said seventh grade was three of the best years of her life, it's pretty obvious that she is a minor. She's less than the age of 18. So, she offers sexual services on the weekends in order to make a little extra spending money. Splits the earnings with her boyfriend who sets up the connections. Somebody under the age of 18, a minor, commercial sex, doing it for money. This is trafficking and her boyfriend would be a felon. Lynn is in college, works at an adult entertainment venue as an escort to pay her tuition. At times, her clients physically or sexually assault her during her encounters. We have crimes but traffic, trafficking is not one of them. Isaac works in a gas station for his uncle and is expected to work 16-hour days at the gas station. He sleeps in a cot in the back of the office. He's beaten if he discusses his leave, wanting to leave or talks to customers about his situation. He gets paid minimum wage for the first 40 hours. Force, coercion, trafficking. Jennifer decided to sleep with her new boyfriend in a closed bedroom at a college party, during which his friends came into the room videotaped the encounter and posted it later as free porn without her consent. This isn't trafficking, but I heard of one instance where it was a situation similar to that, but after graduation and the young lady went out, got a job, started to have a career, Somebody contacted her and said, you know, we've got this video. And if you don't start turning tricks for us, well, you're going to uh, be, have a, a, a really hard time because we're going to send this video to your family. 
we're going to send it to your employer, forget about your career. Okay. At that point with the coercion, yeah, that would be trafficking. But in and of itself with this, this instance is not trafficking. Casey finds an interesting work opportunity that involves nannying in a different part of the country. Once she arrives, she finds her wages cannot keep up with her room and board expenses required by her employer. Now she's in debt to her employer and is told she can't return home until the debt is paid. Can you say debt bondage? Yes, this would be labor trafficking. In some instances, you see people who are coming to the United States, they're being told, uh, here is the cost to get here, and you're going to have to pay this back. But it turns into a situation where they never are able to make enough money to pay back that debt, debt bondage. Again, with this situation, same thing, debt bondage. Gina is in desperate times, needs a place to stay for the night. Her friend Mike offers that uh, she can stay at his house in exchange for sex every now and again. Well, survival sex, it would be trafficking. Okay. Paying for the rent and the ability to stay there and the coercion of not be, if you don't uh, provide, you don't get to live here. Looks, let's look at the economics of human trafficking. It's very low risk, low investment, high demand. This is a problem. The demand side is often not really addressed. There are some estimates that say it might be the third largest criminal enterprise in the world. Okay. If I am selling drugs, I have a bindle of heroin. I sell it to you. I have to go out and get more. With humans, you can sell them again and again and again and again. And tomorrow, you sell them again. And it just keeps going on for as long as you can. Okay. This is a very insidious enterprise. We've mentioned before about uh, computers. Well, let's look at social media and the internet. At one time, you had Backpage.com was one of the really big ones for human trafficking. But, okay, they had problems. They weren't the first. There were others that were doing it. Backpage. They ended up with uh, criminal charges, indictments against some of the head people. So now it's a matter of finding out who's going to jump in to take their place. Unfortunately, there often is somebody else that will jump in. What about dating sites for teens? Teens recruiting other teens. Social media apps. Okay. We have people from our computer crimes unit that do excellent presentations. And hopefully there'll be one coming up where there'll be a presentation for you on the uh, issues with social media and cybercrime. So what are the, some of the red flags? What are some of the indicators that we need to look at? Well, evidence of somebody being controlled especially with their communication. You ask somebody a question, and they're looking for somebody else to answer. 
This is something that might show up especially in the healthcare areas. Somebody's there coming in for some reason. They keep looking to somebody else who brought them there. What should my answer be? What about disheveled appearance, unkempt, alone, crying? Fear or depression? Trying to live this life ain't a great one. Maybe having a much older significant other, the teenager who has a 50-year-old as the boyfriend. Out of the norm wealth, clothes, electronics, all of a sudden they're being bought with all this wonderful stuff. Somebody who's over-sexualized for their age. Branding. Okay. In some instances, traffickers will refer to their victims as a stable. They might say to uh, them, we are a family, and you have to be a part of this family, and you have to do things for the family. But when they talk to their contemporaries, they're livestock, they're a stable. And you use tattoos, branding. You don't want your livestock wandering around and disappearing with the other livestock. And another thing is the maybe an intense loyalty to the trafficker. That would be the subject of a whole different conversation looking at why the psychological impacts and why somebody might stay with a trafficker. Injuries, bruises, limping, heat stress, stroke, uh, untreated in skin infections, irritations, issues, dehydration, sleep deprivation, issues maybe with the labor trafficking. Okay. Tattooing. Here's some of the different uh, things that you see, but might be a tattoo. And you have maybe a number of individuals. And it isn't just girls. Boys are trafficked as well. Okay. But you might have matching tattoos. I heard of one uh, pimp, I think he was, went by the street name of Blue Diamond, and so he had a Blue Diamond tattooed on all of his stable. Language from the life. People will talk about the bottom. Pardon the language? Sometimes it's referred to as the bottom girl to sanitize it. Many times the term is actually the bottom bitch. And it might be a female who is appointed by the trafficker to supervise. It might be somebody who worked their way up from a trafficking victim to somebody who is trusted and in charge. And in some instances that might be the one if somebody has to go to a hospital or seek medical attention that's who's taking them. Daddy, that might, uh, a trafficker might require uh, the victims to call them that name. Family, folks, here's some pretty weird terms being used. Lot lizard, that's a common one that's seen in the trucking industry. In some instances you see a truck and it has the, you know, the red, uh, circle with the line across it, and it might have a lizard in the picture, or maybe a lizard in a cocktail dress. It's a way of saying, leave me alone, I'm not a buyer, when they're parked in the truck stop. Remember, they look for target-rich environments. They're not just going to go someplace where maybe they might get one buyer, they want to find as many buyers as possible. Quota, a set amount of money that the victim must come up with. In some instances, they don't care how they get it, if they can steal it as well. Reckless eyeballing, eyeballing looking around instead of keeping your eyes on the ground. As I said before, a stable, the group of victims. Some of the weird ones like wifeys, wife-in-law, sister-wife, what 
the victims might call each other. Language from the life. Truckers Against Trafficking, okay? This was a program that has been around for a while. They've gone through a few different variations, but they are really taking off. Many of the states are involved in this now. Uh, state police agencies, trucking agencies, uh, truck stops. Many of your major truck stops, if you go into them, you will see one of these uh, symbols or you will see a uh, poster concerning this, that they are on board with this program. It began in 2009, and it kept expanding. Uh, we began partnering with them and really started our rollout in 2015. We're really looking to educate and get the transportation industry involved. Every January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. We're doing it, you know, we're involved all year round. January, we really make the uh, push and we're giving out little wallet cards that have information on it as to what are some of the indicators? What numbers should you call? What should you do if you think that you see human trafficking? We're putting out, uh, going to places where they put little uh, stickers in the bathroom mirrors in case a trafficking victim is there. They can see that, call the number if they've made the decision that they want to try to escape, get out of that life. Goal is to re-educate transportation, recognize and assist victims. Again, the victim focus. An extension of the Truckers Against Trafficking program is called BOTTLE, and it stands for Bussing on the Lookout. Along the line, they realized, you know, we've been looking at transport people who transport goods. What about the people who transport people? We've been really getting involved in this as well, whether it be charter buses, whether it be the long-haul buses, okay? There have been instances where people who work in the bus stops, somebody shows up, obviously a young individual, they don't exactly know where they're going, but somebody sent them a bus ticket and they're going out of state. Okay. Some of these have been picked up on and it's the people who work there that are seeing it and calling it in. What about school buses? School bus drivers, five days a week, twice a day, they see these kids. They know the, f the kids, they know the families. And if all of a sudden they start seeing something that just isn't lining up, they can be a great help. Okay. So, charter buses, dial-a-ride, all of them. Matter of fact, I had a lot of programs. I was contacting the uh, many busing operations and before things shut down with COVID, I had many trainings set up because the busing operations were really interested in this. They wanted to join in and be a part of it. Unfortunately, those had to be put on hold. Hopefully, they're going to be coming back again. So again, Bussing on the lookout, mobilize the transportation industry that deals with transporting people. My division, we have people in every district. Since I started with this, I've become the uh, assistant coordinator for the state. In 2020, even with COVID, we still did about 49 different human trafficking awareness presentations. We reached about 6,782 people by our counts. Many times it's more. Presentations, we've did uh, 10 media interviews. The presentations include truck stops, trucking companies, civic organizations. I'll talk to any group. 
I do weddings, funerals, and bar mitzvahs, you name it. You get me a group that, you know, I've even done it where uh, I only had three show up. I didn't care. I'll talk to them. I'll tell them about it. We go around, actually take into account that a few years back, a law was passed that said if you had just about any public health license in Michigan, and I'm one of those, I'm a licensed professional counselor, you had to have and certify that you had human trafficking training before you were allowed to renew your license. I've done a lot of programs for you know, various uh, medical groups, mental health groups. I was doing one for a uh, group one time. It was case managers. <laughs> a month later, I get a call from one of them, and I'm, they're asking, I think I've got somebody who's being groomed. Okay, give me the details. Well, with what they were able to share, it was a 15-year-old, a frequent runaway. There are a number of other indicators that came in. It was lining right up. Nothing had happened yet, but it was being, there was a grooming going on. Okay. When dealing with public health, when we're dealing with individuals, we also have to deal with issues that we're trying to balance the issues of privileged communications along with where are we mandated to report. And the circumstances in this particular case, it worked out okay. Now, was this individual who was grooming the 15-year-old able to uh, follow through on it? In this case, no. But was that 15-year-old still somebody with traits of vulnerability? Yes. Victim focus. Trying to prevent it, this individual from being victimized. So, there are a lot of things that we look at there. In many instances, I'll never know this side of heaven if this, what I'm saying to you is going to make a difference. In this particular instance, I think it did. I'll accept that. I just know that sooner or later, what I'm doing hopefully will do some good. The victim-focused response, the persons who are being victims, vic or being trafficked are victims. They may not see themselves as victims. They think that somehow or another they have control of the situation. So, can you go charging in, kick the door, and act like uh, the movie Taken? No. But, if you see something, you see those red flags, collect what information you can. If you can get a plate off of a vehicle, write it down. Calling it in. Getting that information into the system. But be careful. Because remember I said they don't like to have their uh, livestock wandering off. They're probably being watched and you could be watched as well. One of the other things is that many times just the nature of that life, these individuals are traumatized. And it could be just trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma. It's really a mess. On one side, you see what are the brain functions in a, br a brain of somebody who has not been traumatized? Then you see somebody who's exposed to trauma. 
it actually makes changes in the function of the brain and how the brain works. These are the things that as therapists we have to deal with. Okay. One of the big issues that we deal with with trauma is that trauma is a sensory experience and it's very personal. People might look at a something and say, well, how could this be traumatizing when somebody else had it worse and they're not traumatized? Well, first off, you don't know whether or not they're traumatized. You don't know the impact. Secondly, it is very personal and it tends to be what meaning you bring to it. Okay. There was a time that people talked about uh, PTSD. And, oh, this person couldn't have PTSD. They weren't in Vietnam. No, you didn't have to be in Vietnam, and you don't have to be in combat to have PTSD. And not everybody who has post-traumatic stress has a disorder. Remember that fourth letter of PTSD is disorder. Okay? Think about the people who came back from the World War II generation. You had people who maybe they made certain changes to their lifestyle. Maybe they stopped hunting, gave away their deer rifle. Maybe a couple of times a year they'd wake up screaming in a cold sweat. But were they able to hold down a job? Were they able to cultivate personal relationships? Were they able to further an education? Were they traumatized? Yes. Was it a disorder that they, it impacted their day-to-day -day living? Maybe not. Okay. Lots of people have post-traumatic stress. It's not always a, a disorder. But I will definitely say that trauma is not a competitive sport. You cannot sit there and say, this person had it worse, so they should be traumatized. It's the meaning that the individual brings to it. It's that personal experience. No two victims are going to be the same. They could be involved in the same situation. Two people sitting in the back seat of a car that's in a crash. Each will have their own uh, reaction to it. Don't always expect victims of trafficking to see you as a rescuer or savior. You might be an unwel unwelcome intruder. Leave me alone. I'm in control of this situation. I don't want to be bothered by you. Victim may be hostile, aggressive toward you. They've adopted different tactics to survive to deal with the situation. Challenging, direct questioning, immediately likely to alienate or confuse them. So let's look at what's out there. We have local human trafficking task forces. I've spent a lot of time with the Mid-Michigan Human Trafficking Task Force. We cover a very large area. Midland has a Human Trafficking Task Force. If you're looking for information on them, depending on where you live, even just look up Human Trafficking Task Force and put in your area. Okay. You don't, they look at multidisciplinary responses. They look at dispatch, what about law enforcement? You know, from the initial call that comes in to the law enforcement officer that goes out. What about the judicial aspect? What about the prosecutor's office, the judges? Then we need to look at the medical area, social services, any sort of assistance that's there. You don't have to be wearing a badge to be part of it. You don't have to be a shrink to be a part of it. We need everybody to be a part of it.
and be fit, uh, victim focused. Services that they're going to need, well, there's going to be a lot of them. Health care, okay. What about uh, mental health? What about food, housing? Eventually, they need employment. They're going to need legal assistance. Uh, University of Michigan has a human trafficking clinic. They are second-year law students who act under supervision of their professors who are licensed attorneys. And they work on things such as helping individuals deal with things such as if you're a foreign national, maybe getting that visa as a human trafficking victim to be able to stay in the country. Okay. There are many things needed by the victims, but the number one need is housing. The officer can't just simply go in, say, trafficker, you're under arrest, click, click, put on the handcuffs, and, uh, oh, by the way, victim, would you leave us a uh, address that we can send you a subpoena when it's time to go to court? Where are they going to go? Where are they going to live? What are the very basic things? Those of you, if you are familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the very base, safety, security, housing, shelter. Organizations such as Shelter House or uh, uh, some of the other organizations they are willing to come in and say, okay, here is what we can provide. All the different pieces of the equation are saying, this is what we can donate to this situation. This is what we can provide to try and help the victim. If you see what you believe is human trafficking, call 911. That's the first step get law enforcement involved. If maybe you're not sure, you can go to the National Human Trafficking Resource Center. The phone number is 888-3737-888. Kind of an interesting number. It's all over the uh, uh, wallet cards that we hand out. In some instances, they're going to look at that and say, okay, uh, They'll ask you some questions, get some information. Maybe they can put it together and say, all right, yeah, this is looking like human trafficking. There was an instance where in a hospital they had uh, an individual. They believed that uh, she was being trafficked. They called the resource center. Resource center got the information. They called the FBI. FBI contacted our local post. They sent a troop out there immediately. It resulted in a... Uh, successful prosecution. But we need people, everybody, to be involved. Whether you go out and you work with a task force or you're just looking and you're willing to make that phone call. Some of the websites you can go to, Truckers Against Trafficking, there's lots of information. Matter of fact, you can become I am not a truck driver, but I am a certified trucker against trafficking. You can sign up, take their little training, uh, the videos that you can watch. How about the National Human Trafficking Resource Center? That's another one. The Polaris Project. They collect a lot of information. In some instances, you're going to see uh, information there. You might sometimes the statistics, again, you have to be a very careful consumer of the numbers because sometimes those statistics can get sidelined, misinterpreted. At one time there was the word going around that Michigan was number two in human trafficking. Uh, no, we were number two in calls to the human trafficking hotline. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. Our people are calling. They see something, they have questions, they call. That's a good thing. That doesn't mean that we have more of it than somebody else. 
Everybody has it. It's all over the place. But, again, be careful of those numbers, statistics. Be a thoughtful consumer of that information. Okay. We often tell people, you have three choices when you think you see human trafficking. If you participate, you're a part of the problem. If you ignore it, you're not doing anything to help. Or you can make a call and try to be part of the solution. You may choose to look away, but you can never say again you did not know. Now, therapist again in me coming out. And this is an important thing for you. Okay. Many times after I've told this story to people and I've gone through this process, they start thinking and having thoughts about, I saw this one time. I saw that. Was there human trafficking and I let it go? I didn't realize it. I didn't see it. Don't beat yourself up for what you didn't know then. But take what you have learned and use it now. It's not your fault if you didn't know then. Don't beat yourself up. Give yourself a little grace. Okay? So, I want to thank you for spending this time with me on this journey. And hopefully, we'll be talking again soon. This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov slash MCTV. We hope you enjoy the following presentation.